Now please join me for today's Bible reading. Today's Bible reading is from Romans 12, 4 to 16. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Good morning, good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to once again come into your homes and be able to share with you the Word of God this morning. I trust you have been enjoying going through the series of Colossians and while we arrive at our final passage from Colossians today, I pray that in some way you have been encouraged, you have been challenged, you have been convicted and, or even just recharged in your walk with the Lord. Now, I know the reading that Alison read for us this morning was from the book of Romans, but the reason why I wanted Romans read is because the truths and the principles that are revealed about the church in the book of Romans and the picture that is given there is actually exemplified in this final passage of Romans chapter 4. It's in Romans chapter 4 from verses 7 to the end of the chapter to verse 18 is the exemplifying of the body of Christ. A whole bunch of individuals, a whole bunch of different people, different contexts, different backgrounds. And in those differences yet, they are united and share in a commonality of purpose for the glory and the kingdom of God. And so we're going to sort of jump in between both those passages this morning and prayerfully we'll be able to draw out some wonderful truths and principles that we can apply to our own lives as well as a church. So join me in a word of prayer and please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to spend time in the Word. We pray, Father, that as we look at the Scriptures, you might minister to our hearts, that you might teach us not only about yourself, but about our role as a part of your body. We pray, Father, that you will speak through me and that you might work through me to be able to share the truth that you have laid upon my heart. So we pray that all glory and honour and majesty belong to you this morning and that we as your people, we as your children, will be drawn closer to you. And Father, that we might deepen our relationship with you also. So we commit this time to you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So when you look at Colossians chapter 4, 
You see in verses 7 to 18, Paul's final greetings, Paul's final instructions, Paul's actually giving of thanks as well and appreciation for the people that are involved and fellow laboring with him in the gospel. It's much like me saying a really massive thank you to the likes of Joyce and Cass and Caris and Jono and, and all the other people that have been involved in enabling online services to be done over the past several months and that services could keep going even though they're done online now and done remotely. So it's a very big thank you to those guys for all your effort and for all your involvement that you have done and I guarantee for the work that you will be doing and are doing with us now. And so I really want to appreciate all the hard work you've done. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure the church family really appreciate it as well, because without you guys being a part of all this and, and taking the initiative in this, uh, we would have had probably a difficult time trying to get things set up. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. The Colossians, from Paul's perspective as well, is, is giving his thanks and his instructions as well. Because as you read through verses 7 to 18, you have a number of people mentioned. For example, in verses 7 and 8, you have Tychicus mentioned. And Paul refers to him as a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. And Paul was sending Tychicus to the Colossians for the express purpose of them knowing about Paul's circumstances and the situations that are going on and that he might be able to encourage the Colossians' hearts, even though Paul was in prison at this time. Tychicus is actually mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and, and was a companion with him. Then you look in verse 9 and there's the mention of Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave or Philemon's indentured servant. And what happened was there, if you read Philemon, is that Onesimus stole from Philemon, ran away, got caught, arrested, and whilst in prison, encountered the Apostle Paul. And in that encounter, Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him and led him to the Lord Jesus as well, who was now faithfully serving. Onesimus was accompanying Tychicus to Colossae as well, and he is referred to in verse 9 as a faithful and dear brother, which is one of you. In verse 10, we have the gentleman named Aristarchus in verse 10. And he was a companion with Paul also, and who was now imprisoned with Paul in Rome. And we are told in verse 10 that he sends his greetings, as well as making mention of Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas. Now, some commentators say that Barnabas is mentioned in connection to Mark to give Mark some credibility for the Colossian believers. And then there are some specific instructions about heeding what he has to say as he goes and visits the people at Colossae. In verse 11, we have Jesus, who is called Justice, and he also sent his greeting. And Paul makes a specific comment here saying that he was, well, that they were the only two Jews that were part of this entourage, as it were, or these fellow workers in the kingdom of God, who were Mark and Jesus, who was called Justice. And we are told that they proved a comfort to Paul. In verses 12 and 13, there is mention of Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was the gentleman who planted the church Colossae, and he was the one who would actually travel to and from Rome, taking word of, Coloss of the Colossian church to Paul, and vice versa, taking instruction back to, Colossian church, back to the Colossian church from Paul. We read in verses 12 and 13 that he is a servant of Christ Jesus who is always wrestling in prayer for them, that they may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. 
Paul vouched for him and that he is working hard for the Colossian church, not only there, but also for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. And of those greetings, finally, we wrote of Luke, who was the doctor, the writer of the book of Luke and the writer of the book of Acts, and Demas in verse 14. And we're told that they send their greetings as well. In verses 15 through to 18, we are told of Paul's greetings to the saints uh, in Laodicea, to a sister called Nympha who has a house church within her home. There was an exhortation to Archippus. And finally, an exhortation or an encouragement when he says that I, Paul, in verse 18, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, the fact that Paul says, I wrote this with my own hand, shows not only the importance, but also the value that Paul had of these believers. Uh, traditionally saying, Paul, because of his bad eyesight, never really wrote too much. He had asked other people to scribe before him while he dictated the messages to them. But this one, Paul wrote himself. Now, you'll notice that with all the people Paul recognizes, that regardless of their country of origin, regardless of their shared experience, regardless of their connections, their ethnicity, their social standing, or their gender, there was a commonality of purpose, there was a shared vision, there was a unity of heart that extended beyond, beyond their differences. It went beyond their uniqueness. It actually, well, not so much beyond their uniqueness, but actually it went beyond their differences and embraced their uniqueness all for the sake of a greater goal, all for the sake of a greater calling. And that greater calling brought about a unity within their diversity. And that is the power of the gospel. That is what Jesus Christ brings. In a world where the struggle for identity is more confusing than ever. On top of which, the numerous voices that automatically classify you or categorize you in a particular group because of the way you look, because of where you're from, because of what you believe, because of the social standing that you have, because of all of these things that have class classified you and categorized you, there has been created this, this tribalism culture, uh, an idea of us versus them mentality, mentality that has created tensions where there never used to be any tensions. It has created friction where there never used to be any friction, and it has made, it has made a mountain out of a molehill where there never used to be mountains, just molehills. And it has moved this whole idea of personal responsibility and choice to more like victimhood and retribution. And so with all of this, and, and you look around the world today, and this is what you see. Everybody screaming out and crying for their rights, crying for tolerance by being intolerant, crying for freedom of discrimination by being discriminating. It's this, this interesting contrast that has been taking place in the world today. And it's, it's really interesting to see how we as a church function within this because the good news, the gospel, the power of God unto salvation does the most amazing work of taking an individual, taking their uniqueness, and in that individuality and in that uniqueness, redeems, quickens, and sanctifies 
and then places them within a greater call and within a greater purpose, and, and with, yeah, a greater purpose, which I guess you could call within the body of Christ. This is what the gospel does, where they still retain their uniqueness and their individuality, but perfectly fit together with other like-minded people, they, they form a family, they form a kingdom, they form a body for the glory and the extending of his name to all the earth. That's what I think is amazing. I mean, I mean you look at us as a church, you look at us as brothers and sisters even within the local body of Grace Christian Church, you have myself, who's Polynesian. You have those who are Australian, those that are Malaysian, those that are Chinese, those that are Taiwanese, those that are Singaporean. There's a whole list of people, different mindsets, different heartbeats, different ways of thinking. And yet in our individuality and in our uniqueness, Christ brings us together as one for his glory and for the extending and the exhortation of Jesus Christ. And what I like there is that when you look in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, you have a rule given by God to the Israelites about how altars are to be made. And I think this altar that's to be made is a wonderful picture of the church and how God's intended design for the church is to be set apart for him the way it is to bring him glory. Let, let me explain. In verses in 24 and 24, we, 24 and 25 of Exodus 20, we read this. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. Verse 25, if you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, meaning altered stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. That's really interesting. So God says, if you're going to make an altar, a place, to, a place in where offerings and worship and sacrifices are made, that which you give to God, do not, do not use dressed stones. Do not, do not shape the stones. Do not chip away at the stones. Do not break the stones to make it fit into a particular way. Merely take the stones and place them. Why? Because that is what God has desired. God wants that just to use what is available to him to bring glory for him. It is what God desired to use for a place of worship and offering. For it to be chiseled by man in order to fit in would defile the altar. It would defile the beauty for which God had intended it to be. And that is where the uniqueness of our individuality can bring glory and honor to God. And this is the picture that we see in Romans chapter 12. This is the, I guess you could say, the metaphor of which, of which this, this altar is of the body of Christ, that however they are, when redeemed, when quickened, when sanctified or set apart for the glory of God, it brings honor to his name, which 
leads to my first point taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. And that is, identify our uniqueness as individuals. Identify our uniqueness as individuals. In verses 4 to 8 of Romans chapter 12, we read this. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So our uniqueness, if we identify our uniqueness as individuals, what we come across or need to come to understand is that we are not all the same. We are not all gifted in the same way. We are gifted, yes, but we are not all gifted the same way. And all of those gifts, all of those varying personalities, all of us, as it talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, that all of us who are living stones to build up a spiritual house, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Jesus Christ, all of us, is that in that uniqueness, God has placed us there in order to not only build up believers, but glorify who he is. That in our unity, we represent not only who God is, but reveal the reality of what his love does in the lives of individuals by making us one. And I think that is a lesson that we often overlook because we are not all the same. Can you imagine, can you imagine if we were all little Jonos? Do you realize how quiet things would be? Can you imagine if, say, we were all like Elissas and how dangerous society would be with mad scientists running around? Can you imagine if we were all big brads and how fish and bears, if there were like grizzly bears and stuff around here, or, or, or kangaroos or whatever it might be. You realize how many of those things would be endangered species if we were all mountain men like Big Brad? That would be dangerous. But we are not all the same. We have been redeemed and quickened and sanctified and all of that was done in order to have the uniqueness that we have as individuals play a part in building the body of Christ and building each other up and then as we are built up, proclaim that wonderful love and message of salvation to those around us. That's why he goes in specifically when he mentions prophecy. He says, then you do that in accordance to your faith. Whether it's serving, then you serve. Whether it's teaching, then you teach. Whether it's giving encouragement, then you give encouragement. Whether it's, whether it's giving, then give generously. Whether it's leading, then do it diligently. Whether it's showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. That is the uniqueness that we all have as individuals within the body of Christ. That's why we need to identify the uniqueness we have in Christ and see how in Christ we can be used by him in the lives of others.
which is a wonderful privilege and a wonderful honor that we get to partake of. That's the first one. Secondly, is the encouragement that in that uniqueness, we might, by God's grace, have our hearts aligned with the heart of God, as revealed in the person of Christ. In verses 9 through 12, we read how love must be sincere, how to, to hate what is evil, how to cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord and be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and in prayer. All of these aspects from this passage reveals the heart of God as demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. When it talks about live, love, be sincere, having the sincerest of love as demonstrated in Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we read, This is how we know what the love is, oh, sorry, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brethren. That is the sincerest of love, the giving and the sacrificing of one's life. For another, which doesn't necessarily mean to be literally, but it means prioritizing others better than yourself. Which is, we got hate what is evil. Um, when he called out the Pharisees who were trying to trap him with taxes, and he said, Should we pay taxes or not? And, and the Lord Jesus hated the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who said one thing, but were more concerned with power and personal advantage than actually leading the people and pointing the people to God. We have cling to what is good. In Matthew 14, 23, one of the greatest examples is when Jesus just retreated to pray, to commune, to cling to what is good. We are told with the rich young ruler when he says, good master, and he says, Who, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Cling to what is good. That in communion, with, in prayer, to spend time clinging to God himself. Be devoted to one another in love. Matthew 26, 17 to 30 is the communion meal, the last, the supper, when Jesus sets in place for us the sacrament of communion to remember him. And he gave us that so we could be reminded continually of the sacrifice made, but also the joy of his return. We have honor one another above yourselves. In Mark 2, 23, 28, we have Jesus who I guess you could say, has the back of his disciples when they eat the, the bread from the temple and they kick up a bit of a stink. And he says, don't you remember when David ate the showbread and, and things? So he, he sat there and he had, the, he had his back, the backs of his disciples. Verse 11, you don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I know I made reference to this last week, but when Jesus cleared the temple in John chapter 2 and how the zeal for God's house had consumed him. And we've got be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. All aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the opportunity to fulfill and live as well. And lastly, from Romans 12, from from our uniqueness, discovering our uniqueness in Christ that has been set apart and having our hearts aligned with his. Lastly, that that alignment as revealed through Jesus Christ, it changes us and that it changes us. That as we are inwardly changed, we become outwardly focused. As we are inwardly changed, we become outwardly focused. In verse 13, we read this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Eight things that we are given there that are all others focused. Whether sharing with the Lord's people, whether to be a, whether to bless and to be a blessing to those who persecute you, whether it's celebrating with those who celebrate, mourning with those who mourn. In other words, being present with others, doing life with each other. In the church, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, as it says in Ephesians chapter four. To those who are not of the household of faith, to let our light so shine before men so that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, as we're told in Romans 5. That in humility we connect with people regardless of their social standing. Now when you read the passage in Colossians, when you read about the likes of Tychicus and Onesimus and Epaphras, etc., etc., you see all of these aspects in Romans 12 exemplified. You see the, the fact that, they, that God could take so many different people in the commonality of the gospel to make a huge impact in the world. But the focus of this series in Colossians that we've done over the last few months was never to be just on Paul. Actually, it was never to be or to focus on Paul or on these people that Paul was involved with. It wasn't even to be the example that Paul set as great as that was. It was, it was so that we, in a fear-filled world with COVID-19, it was so that we, in an anxiety-ridden society when everything was shut down, when the planet was locked down, literally, that we needed to get our eyes off ourselves and off what was taking place around us, not in the sense of burying our heads in the sand and place it on the person of Jesus Christ to look beyond the situation and to see how big he really is, to see how majestic and how beautiful and how great and how majestic the Lord Jesus Christ really is. Colossians is about the preeminence and about the fullness and the completeness that he has. And that he has complete control of all that is going on. That is, that is the purpose of Colossians. Maybe it's because I chose it. I, I, I don't know. But, but that's the focus to be. To get our eyes off the situations and off the circumstances and off the fears and off the hardships and off the trials and onto him who stands above all. A.W. Pink has this wonderful quote in his book, Gleanings in the Godhead. And he says this. That view which the Spirit grants from the Scriptures concerning Christ and His glory is to be preferred above all other knowledge or understanding. The grandest of all privileges which believers are capable of, either in this world or the next, is to behold the glory, the personal and official excellencies of Christ, now by faith, then by sight. I want to read the quote again. I quite like it. The view which the Spirit grants from the Scriptures, 
Yeah, the view which the Spirit grants from the Scriptures concerning Christ and His glory is to be preferred above all other knowledge or understanding. The grandest of all privileges which believers are capable of, either in this world or the next, is to behold the glory, the personal and official excellencies of Christ. Now by faith, then by sight. In other words, the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is the official excellencies and personal qualities of who God is, that our circumstances, whatever they may be, to place what's happening in the world today, even now currently with these racial tensions that seem to be going on, to place all of those things in the greater framework of who Jesus Christ is and how big he is. That way we can be, one, trusting in him who is above all, and two, understand our calling in who he is so that we can be about a work that lasts to eternity, not just to a temporary reprieve, to, to build something that would bring glory to God, not just recognition of man. And you see this mentality you see this mentality, and I think this is the reason why Paul and, and all these people he writes of in, the, in Colossians chapter 4, why he writes of all of this, is because he saw Jesus Christ above all. He saw Jesus Christ as sovereign even in his imprisonment. Remember, he is in prison here, and he prayed and gave thanks for the Colossian church. You see that in Chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. How he labored and contended for their welfare. That's in chapter 1, verse 23, through to chapter 2, verse 5. And he did so by presenting and directing their eyes to the exalted Lord Jesus. In his, all his power, in all his supremacy, in all his transcendence. Remember how he is the image of the invisible God, how he is above all and before all and over all, how through him all things are made. He, he did so by exalting the Lord Jesus, and that's in chapter 1, verses 15 through to 22. And, and from the fullness of who he is, the greatness, the transcendence of who he is, we read how we are complete in him, how the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ and of that fullness we have received. That was in Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10. And that in Christ we have been circumcised from our former way of life. It's been cut away and that we've been buried with him through baptism, having our sin debt paid and our offenses against God cancelled. And being freed from our former way of life's power through the cross, we are then raised with him. That's Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. We, told, we are told that the enemy has been defeated, that death has been overcome, that the powers and authorities have been made a spectacle by Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and who is the Lord of lords. This is the King whom we serve. This is the King to whom we know. This is the King to whom we bow the knee. The king who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that in times like today, that are full of doubt and uncertainty, he never changes. He is immutable. That in an atmosphere of fear and doubt and uncertainty, he gives us the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. 
that in great hopelessness, he is the God of all hope. That in times of struggle, he is the God of all comfort. And in times of unsteadiness, where things chop and change continually, he is our solid rock. 1 Samuel 22 verses 2 and 3 says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. This is the king that we know. This is the king to whom we are to have our eyes upon at all times. Yes, things can be hard. Yes, things can be difficult. Yes, things struggle, whether it might be our own health, whether it be worries about our families, whether it be worries about the state of the world today, whether it be the tensions that are taking place, whether it be political, whether it be social, whether it be technological, there's all these things going on. But, but... Our God reigns above all of them. The Lord Jesus stands above all of them. And that's where we are to have our eyes, to look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So how then did you go? How did I go? With the news that bombarded us continually as death rates started soaring during the midst of the covid 19 pandemic how did you go at keeping your eyes upon Jesus how did you go when all the headlines are flashing before your eyes about this going on and that going on and these things taking place and conflict arising and all these hardships how did you go and seeing the Lord Jesus how did you go when your imagination started running wild and you started living off what ifs and hypotheticals within your own mind and the enemy used to whisper in your ear that, okay, what's going on? How did you go in being still and knowing that he is God? How did you go in just stopping, looking around you and appreciate the fact that God in his sovereignty has allowed the world to shut down and brought it to a standstill in order for us to reprioritize. How did you go in, in utilizing the lockdown time to deepen your relationship with the Lord Jesus? How did you go in intentionally and deliberately getting into the Word and spending time dwelling in His presence? How did you go at discovering or even rediscovering the beauty of our God in his salvation that he has provided for us in Jesus Christ? How did you go? Now, I know we could always say we could always done better. We could always done better. But we don't need to wait for a global pandemic to shut us down to do this. We don't have to wait for issues and trials and struggles to, be conf to confront us in order for us to actually spend time within God's Word and to spend time dwelling in His presence and to spend time praying. Because I do want to encourage you with this, that the Lord Jesus invites us to spend time with Him. The Lord Jesus desires to spend time with us, to come to Him and to dwell with Him 
James 4.8, that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But our drawing near is not some sort of arrogant, uh, arrogant expectation. That drawing near is the privilege that we get to have as, as he invites us to be with him. You see this as you read through the Gospels. In Matthew 4.19, when he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, make you fishers of men, the first word in that verse he says is, come. The invitation to come, follow me. In Matthew 11.28, we are told, come all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. In Matthew 14.29, when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter and this is what's really interesting. Remember James 4, 8, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What does Peter do? He, Peter says, if that's you, Lord, let me come out in the water. Let me come out on the water with you. Let me come out. So there's a storm going on. Jesus is in the midst of the storm. And what does Peter do? I want to be near Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, come. In the midst of the storm, Jesus is there. In the midst of the tranquil, peaceful times, Jesus is there. In the times of uncertainty and doubt, Jesus is there. In the storms of life, when the waves are crashing, Jesus is there. And when you cry out to him, what does he say? Come. Come to me. And when Peter started drowning, Jesus came to him and lifted him out. Jesus is there. In Matthew 19, 14, when all the children were there, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. In Luke 19, 5, I shared this a little while ago, but when Zacchaeus was up in the tree, he says to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. In, Luke, sorry, in John 7, 37, the Lord Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And lastly, in John 21, verse 12, there are others as well. I only looked at these few. In John 21, 12, he says, the resurrected Lord says to his disciples, come and have breakfast. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, if he, as our God, is immutable and never changes, James 1.17, this is the same invitation that he presents to us as well. It's like when he stands at the door and knocks of our heart, on the doors of our hearts, Revelation 3.20, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That's the invitation. He is knocking, inviting you to a time of fellowship to a time of intimacy, to a time of, of strengthening, to a time of equipping. That's what he is opening for us even now. You see, when you look at Colossians 4, at these final greetings, the fact that all these people could be about their ministry, that could faithfully serve and openly commit themselves to the Lord and his work is because when they were touched by the love of God in Christ, they responded to his invitation by faith and positioned themselves within his will in order to receive the life of abundance that he has promised, the life of victory to be experienced and the life of power in Jesus' name. That's what they got to participate and partake of. 
because they received a touch from the Lord. Because they were focused not on what other people were doing around them, but rather focused on what their God is doing through them. And so, a fact that we have that same truth available to us today, to us now, that we can be about the ministry God has granted to us, faithfully serving as a wife, as we looked at last week, faithfully serving as a wife or as a husband, as a, as a child or as a parent, as an employee or as an employer, that we can faithfully serve, openly committed to him because he wholly committed himself to us. And that as we too have been touched by the love of God in Christ, we might respond to his invitation of come and receive the life of abundance that he has promised and experience the life of victory that he, is, that he has claimed for us and that we'd experience the power of Jesus' name in overcoming whatever obstacles that we encounter because of the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. I, I pray that through all of this that's been going on, that we can once again have our eyes refreshed, our hearts revived, our, our souls reinvigorated with the beauty of Jesus Christ because he truly stands above all. And there is no substitute. There is no substitute for the greatness of God. There is no substitute for the contentment and the that Jesus Christ gives. And there is no substitute for the, the ability and the capacity and the power that the Holy Spirit gives. No substitute. We might look for it in other things, but we will never find true contentment, true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true purpose, true power outside of the person of Jesus. Finish with one more quote. Money Cannot, cannot, sorry, I'm going to start that again. My apologies. Money cannot purchase joy of soul. Health does not ensure happiness. A beautiful home will not satisfy the heart. Earthly friends, no matter how loyal and loving, cannot speak peace to a sin-burdened conscience nor impart eternal life. Envy covetousness, discontent, receive their death wound when Christ in all his loveliness is revealed as the chiefest among 10,000. That's a beautiful quote. I want to read it one more time because I like it so much. Money cannot purchase joy of soul. Health does not ensure happiness. A beautiful home will not satisfy the heart. Earthly friends, no matter how loyal and loving, cannot speak peace to a sin-burdened conscience nor impart eternal life. Envy, covetousness, covetousness, discontent receive their death wound when Christ in all his loveliness is revealed as the chiefest among 10,000. This is who we serve. This is who invites us to himself. This is who we have the privilege of knowing as our God and as our Savior. May the grace of God impart to us a refreshing of our desires and our spirits to seek after him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength.
May that be a priority in our lives, to look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace and for the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that he stands above all things and that in him all things exist. Thank you so much that we are created by him and for him. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, took upon himself our punishment, our sin, and then rose again from the, dead, from the dead three days later. Thank you that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for us. Father, I, I just ask that you will work within each one of our hearts and souls to long for, to desire for, and to chase after and to pursue you who is before all things and above all things and through whom all things exist. Father, please stir our hearts now and may we not be content with anything else other than yourself. We ask you to dismiss us now and thank you so much for the opportunity not only to spend time in your word, but for the honour to be called your child. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. It has been my honour and privilege to share the word with you this morning. And I pray that it would be more than just words, but rather a truth that would not only impress upon our hearts, but that would change us inwardly so that we would then become more outwardly focused. Outwardly focused toward him and outwardly focused toward each other. We are having a Zoom fellowship time. It would be wonderful to spend some time just chatting with you. I mean, if not, that's fine. But it's always a blessing to see how you guys are going. So God bless. Have a great week. And I would encourage you throughout the week, please send a message to someone. Please send a message to say hello. Please send a message to bless. Please pray for someone. Please let them know that you're thinking about them or that you're praying for them or even just give somebody a call. Um, as we are, like I said, we've been discussing things and we're prayerfully be opening up church in the next few weeks. So please pray about that as well so we can handle that in the right way.